Welcome everybody to Zion. It is good to see you. My name is Justin. I'm the pastor here at the church and we are celebrating our six year anniversary today. Can we give it up to God for that? Praise God. Our first interest meeting, Levi was in my wife's stomach. So he is the same age as the church. It's a, it's a crazy thing to think of how much life has happened since we started. I didn't know so many people that are in the room that have become best friends, sisters, and brothers to me over the years. Our kids have gained aunts and uncles in the church. Uh, and it has been an incredible, incredible ride. Uh, and... Uh, uh, we are still standing today, praise God. <laughs> As John said, to start off our service, so many of the people I started with that planted churches the same time we planted this church are no longer here, and many of their churches are no longer here. Um, and we can just say thank you, God, for keeping us here, for sustaining us for allowing us to be faithful to him and worship to him in the city. And uh, we pray for many more years of faithful ministry in our city. Amen? Amen. Amen. Well, we're going to be starting uh, a reading from, this is Zion's scripture. You know, if you've been coming here every year for this Sunday, I teach on this scripture, which is Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47. And the reason why we teach on this every year is because this has been the passage of Scripture that I would say has formed us the most in how we think about church, because this is the picture of the first church, I would say the unadulterated church, the church of when the Holy Spirit was moving, thousands had just got saved, and they had all been participating in Jerusalem with um, just a, a powerful expression of the Spirit and the apostles all leading and teaching in one place. And we see a beautiful picture of what the church is. And so we're going to read that together, Acts chapter 2, verse 42 to 47. You can read with me along on your service sheets. It says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day, those who were being saved. Amen. Uh, one scripture that I have kind of been meditating on for the last few months now as I've been thinking about where God wants to take our church and where God is calling us to go next to mature deeper in and to walk more in uh, has been verse 46 in particular. I'm going to read that again says, and day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. In our church today, and I say capital C church, the church at large, what I believe that we need, which also is something that we need at Zion, is 
a, a, a way to abide in Christ together, a way of life together, for a way for us to live out the gospel together. When people came uh, to know Jesus in the New Testament, first it was all Jewish people. It was, a, a, it was considered a Jewish sect, uh, just like there were there are different denominations in Christianity, this would be seen like a different denomination or a different sect of Judaism of these people that followed the way of Jesus. And, and the Jews had a very particular way of life, how they would read scripture together, how often they would pray every day, how they would fellowship. And so when these people came to Jesus, the apostles had just lived with Jesus every day for three years. And when the first few thousand people came to know Christ, what they did was they invited all of these people into this way of life, of how to live, that it was not just a Sunday experience. And so often today in church, we've talked about this before, what we do is we convert people to a Sunday experience instead of converting them to Jesus, which is a life experience, which is a lifestyle, if you will, way of living life. It is an everyday thing. It is a calendar revolutionary thing. It is a to-do list revolutionary thing. It is a job revolutionary thing. Everything changes about our life when we are converted to Jesus. Two hours of our life are changed when we are converted to a Sunday service. It is a very, very, very different experience and so something that we want to do more is to convert people to Jesus rather than convert us here to a Sunday experience. And so in the early church, what would happen was when you came to Christ, you literally, you came to this new lifestyle. Everything changed about your life. Uh, there's even something, you can look it up online. It's pretty cool. It's called the Didache. And it was a manual, it was almost like their membership class in the early church of this is our way of life, this is what it means to be a Christian and to walk out. Now for this a seamless transition, there were a few changes in their life, but there a lot was the same. They, a lot of their prayers, how they prayed them, just there were a few word changes that they had made. How they meditated on texts were a little bit different because now they knew who the Messiah was, they knew who Jesus was. And so some of the things that they had prayed and done their entire life, there were some variations to it, but it was pretty regular. Now, when Gentiles started getting saved, we see that in the middle of Acts, it was a revolutionary thing for them because their entire way of life changed. And that's why things like the Didache were created so we can explain this is what you're walking into. I mean, you, they were going from polytheism where you know, an orgy was a form of worship to their God where they would go to the temple and prostitution was a way to worship where now this is all of a sudden something that you shouldn't do. And this is not how you worship God, where when how they lived their life was so antithetical to the gospel that when they were, came to Christ, they were given an entire new manual for life. This is how we are supposed to live. And so my question as of late is, when somebody comes to know Jesus or someone comes to our church, when they get saved... What happens after that? Once they join their church, our church, what are they joining? And a lot of times when someone comes to know Christ, what we do in the West is we tell them, you know, here, read one of the Gospels or the Mark or John are generally the two that people tell somebody to read. And then, you know, join a, a Bible study or a small group and pretty much good, good luck. Nothing else in your life changes where 
if you're lucky, you'll, you'll build a good habit of reading the Bible every day and praying every day. Uh, generally, what will happen is you'll go to Sunday service and a Sunday morning, and you'll attend some kind of group every other week. But your life stays the same. Not much changes. And so what happens is we have people that have been a Christian for 10, 20 years, but have only spent an hour to two hours a week, so let's say 60 hours a year over those 10, 20 years, really changing their life. And then 10, 20 years down the line, we wonder, why am I still struggling and living so similarly to the life that I had 10, 20 years ago? I thought Jesus offered freedom. I thought that things were supposed to change. I thought that I was coming into a new lifestyle. And so what has happened is we've created Sunday experiences to be emotional highs week after week so that we can feel good. And we have decided at Zion very concretely at the very beginning that we wouldn't have a church like that, that it wasn't going to be lights, camera, action. It wasn't going to be about production. It wasn't going to be about how good I can or another preacher can rile up the crowd so that we believe a lie about God. And I have too high a view of God's sovereignty to believe that we can emotionally manipulate him to do what we want every single week and to corner him and to give us what we want. No, what we do is we shape ourselves around the great God because he is our creator. He knows what is best for us. And so then the question we beg ourselves to answer is what are we converting people to? What is this way of life? What does it mean to abide? Well, in the very first thing that we need to understand about the gospel, and I share this again because it is something we have to constantly come back to, and Tiffany touched on this a little last week, is this, you only need God's grace through faith to be saved. Why is this important to remember? Because if, it's, if salvation is by the grace of God, which is what we all believe, this is the foundation of Christianity, of the gospel, then it is an undeserved favor for me, salvation. I could not do anything to deserve it. I could not do anything to get it. Nothing I can do can make me more prone to receive it. It is just an undeserved favor from God. Salvation is by the grace of God. That is the cornerstone of our faith. That is something that we have to remember, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We were not begging for it. We were not righteous enough. We are not good enough. We never will be, no matter what we've done, to receive God's gift of salvation on our own merit. It is impossible. How do we receive this gift of grace? From God through faith. Believing in Christ unlocks this incredible gift of salvation. This miracle, as Jesus puts it when he turns away the rich man, the rich young ruler, because he didn't want to give his possessions away to the poor. When he went to Jesus and the disciples dumbfounded by this because they thought if someone was rich, they were blessed, they were in God's favor, they were definitely going to heaven. Sounds like some preachers I heard of today. They thought, how? Who can go to heaven? That was literally the disciples' question. Who can then be saved? 
we're all screwed, this is what they said. That's a really blessed person. I ain't so blessed, and if he ain't going to heaven, I ain't going to heaven, that's for sure. And Jesus said, with God, all things are possible. Mm. We'd be using that verse for all sorts of things. All sorts of things. But its original context is salvation. That what was impossible with man, with us, with our current state of life, becomes possible with God because of his grace. That is the miracle of salvation. And it is true that you don't need Bible reading, you don't need prayer, and you don't need fellowship or church participation to be saved. You just need Jesus' grace. That's it. You only need God's grace through faith to be saved. But you need the Spirit through faithfulness to stand the trials along the way. That is also true. These are two sides of the same coin. You do not need those things like Bible reading and prayer and fellowship to be saved, but you need those things for longevity, for sanctification, and faithfulness, to fight the good fight, as Paul said, and to finish the race. Another clear angle in Scripture that we see is faith needs teeth. It needs to be proved through our actions. I'm going to give you some verses here. Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, Jesus himself says this, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. A lot of times we have reduced faith in Jesus to a prayer of confession. Jesus, I accept you into my heart to forgive all my sins and I trust in you, I believe in you, thank you very much. I'm gonna go back to living my exact same life that I lived beforehand. How many times have we heard salvation counts? You know, I, I read one stat that if all the salvation counts were true over the last 30 years, the world would have been saved four times over. John 14, 15, again, Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Our faith needs teeth. True faith is not just a verbal confession. True faith leads us into a lifestyle of obedience to the king. James chapter 2, the brother of Jesus, he says this. In verse 17, he says, So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. James says, show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. What does that mean? The demons believe God. They're encountered with his kingdom every day. When Jesus walks into the room, the demons have to flee. And they shudder, meaning they have a high view of his sovereignty and his power, oftentimes higher than our view of it. But they are not saved. 
Because although works of the law do not bring us to salvation, godliness through faith shows our salvation. The only way your faith can have teeth is through the help of the Holy Spirit. And that comes with faithfulness of spending time with God in scripture, in prayer, and fellowship with other believers. We see this over and over and over and over again in the scriptures. So the picture becomes more clear for us. Our salvation is a miracle, purely by the grace of God. And that we receive through faith in Jesus and is shown through how our life changes by that faith, or better put, faithfulness to Jesus. When you encounter Jesus, your life should never be the same. Never. We have encountered organizations that meet on Sunday. We have encountered motivational speakers. We have encountered great worship bands. And our life has stayed the same because we have not encountered Jesus. When we encounter Jesus, we cannot go back. Every once in a while, I may act like Israel and and think my vomit smells really good. The old ways say, I want to go back to Egypt. Slavery sounded good. And when I get there, I feel terrible. I feel awful. And I have to return to Jesus. Why? Because my life has changed. It doesn't mean I'm going to be perfect. It doesn't mean I'm going to be sinless. But I can't live that life I used to live anymore. I can't go back to how I used to be. But we have coddled our Christianity so much and made it so easy that we have fallen into the trap that they fell into when Jesus was speaking in the early church. That this is just a confession, but not a lifestyle change. That it's a comfortable thing, not a sacrificial thing. That it's a once a week thing. Not a lifetime thing. And I've seen people walk away left and right from their faith because their life has not changed. What I preach works. I just want to say that. This is... You know, this is not some person on Instagram trying to sell you a class for $99. It's going to change your life, and you know they're scamming you. It works. I know this one pastor, actually, he had come and preached at my old church. This is years ago when I was a kid. I was talking to my brother about this. We were reminiscing, you know, the good old days. And <laughs> what a philosophy this guy had. If anybody had an issue and wanted to go to him for counseling... He had them fill out a form, and the questions on this form were amazing. This guy is my hero. I've totally forgotten about this. Have you read the Bible every day for the last month? Have you prayed every day for the last month? Have you been giving to the church? And if you answered no on any of those things, have you fasted once a week for the last month? If you answered no to any of those things, he would not see you. 
And y'all, I'm just gonna say, if if my aunt, if like you coming at me with issues and I start asking like, you've been reading the Bible? Don't get mad at me. I'm just saying, don't get mad at me. Because I've only wasted my breath for the last six years saying to read the Bible and pray. Y'all still ain't doing it. And then coming to me with those problems. Am I too real for everybody right now? The solution is right before you. It's Jesus. Be with Jesus. Abide in Jesus. Go to Jesus. Be with Jesus. Man will not solve your problems. Now, let me tell you, there are times where I'm reading, I'm praying every day, and I still got issues. But we can go there. We can get deeper there. It is Jesus. It is being with Jesus that causes real change. That causes real deliverance from the old ways. I'm not going to start sending everybody forms. Don't worry. (laughs) Y'all know you haven't been given. I've been seeing you. It's okay. I've been talking with you. that, That joke hit a little too hard. Nobody laughed at that one. It's okay. But so many, I can, I can say from personal experience, so many of my issues are solved when I pray, when I, when I crack open the scripture. My wife can attest, I'll be feeling terrible some days, 100% awful mentality. And I think it's, it's ne- nothing's ever gonna happen. It's all, it's, everything's a failure. My life is a waste. Anybody could just... Think everything's a catastrophe in your head sometimes. But man, when I pray, I just remember it's not in my hands. It's in God's hands. When I open up the scripture, I could be reading some obscure prophet in the Old Testament talking to a people that I have no clue about. But it feeds my soul because these are the words of God. This is the Lagos. This is what John said that the... In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. This is Jesus. The prophet said, it's like a fire shut up in my bones. He ate the scroll, and it satisfied him. That most of the time, it is solved in my time of scripture and prayer, and then the things that aren't, I actually have the ability, the mental wherewithal to go to the help that I need to get those things solved. It may be having the courage to apologize to my kids for something I did wrong or having the mental capacity to call my therapist and finally make that appointment that I've needed to make. See, In the New Testament, when you were saved, you were given a, this new way of life that literally it changed everything. Your daily habits, your calendar, your actions, your speech, everything was changed. And the Holy Spirit 
was the helper that gave you the strength to carry that out. He was the one that empowered you. So when Jesus said, I'm leaving, but someone is coming that is going to help you, and then when he, when he ascends in Acts 1, and then the, the Holy Spirit ascends in, in chapter 2, the Holy Spirit comes, and he descends on the day of Pentecost and empowers the whole church to live a way that was impossible to live prior, to have the strength to live this way that Jesus called us to live. And living out the way of life, Jesus called this abiding. In John chapter 8, verse 31 and 32, he says, says, so Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. A lot of us like to just quote verse 32. You know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And we say the truth is the gospel. And then we say, well, I should be free. But no, we're missing the whole first part of what Jesus said. That if you abide in my word, we need to learn to fight to abide in the word of Jesus. To make war with our flesh every morning when it says, well, I got work. I got people to take care of, I got things to do, I got dinner to cook, I got money to make, and our list goes on. I got this person to see, I got this meeting to go to and say, no, I will fight to abide in Jesus because if I do not abide, nothing else matters of what I'm going to do. Will we be an abiding church or will we be a church that says, Lord, Lord? Will we be a church of great gifts where Jesus says you can cast out demons, you can prophesy, but you will come and I will say, depart from me, I never knew you. Fight to abide. Struggle to be with Jesus because the truth, and I'm telling you sometimes the truth makes no sense to me. I will say, no, my work is more important, God. My family time is more important, God. Eating is more important, God. Don't you know I'm going to die if I don't have this food right now? This cookie is looking real good. Why? It doesn't make sense in those moments. But you know the great thing about the truth that I really love? Is whether it makes sense to me or not, it's still the truth. And so when Jesus says to abide, and that this is the best thing I can do, that this is what his disciples do, that this is the game-changing, life-changing thing that's gonna help me understand the truth and set me free from the lie of the enemy, the lie of my flesh, the lie of the world, then guess what? Whether it makes sense or not to me, over time, I've been able to train my mind to say, I don't care what you think, mine. I'm opening the word today. I'm praying today. Because this will be the most important thing that I do today. I can solve a thousand problems. I can make a lot of money. I can meet with 20 people. But if I did not abide in Jesus, then I did not do the most important thing of the day. I want you to understand that. 
Now, some of you are gonna be condemned by the devil. Look how terrible you are. You're an awful Christian. You should, you should just give up. You shouldn't try anymore. The devil's number one tool to get Christians to stay away from Jesus is condemnation, is deceitfulness, is lying, is accusations. That's why his name isn't actually Satan. In the Bible, he's always given the before. It's the Satan because he is the deceiver. And so if your mind is going to condemnation, know this, that condemnation will keep you away from Jesus. Conviction will bring you to him. And so whatever is keeping you away, throw it in the garbage and say, Satan is a liar. Jesus, here I come. So how do we abide? How do we walk out this way of life? In verse 42, this is the verse of our church. If you go on our website and our about page, this is real huge on the about page. This, this is the verse that we feel like is what God has called us to. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, discipleship, scripture, and the fellowship and to the breaking of bread, community, fellowship, being with the church, participation, and the prayers, praying, being with Jesus. Does that sound like anything familiar that we talk about every single week? Community, discipleship, and prayer. This is what we have given ourselves to. What is community? It is developing meaningful relationships in the church, breaking bread with one another, eating with one another, hanging out with one another, participating in the life of the church. What is discipleship? It is learning from the word. It is learning from others by being pointed to the word. It is sitting at the feet of Jesus. I used to think you needed a degree and 10 years maturity in Christ to disciple somebody. All you need to do is know how to point them to the Bible. If you've been saved for a day, guess what? You can disciple somebody because you can read the Bible with them. We complicate stuff. Prayer. Pray the scriptures. Pray with each other. Pray for each other. I get on the phone with somebody every week. I confess my sins. And you know what? We don't leave it at that about how terrible our lives are and how terrible we are. We pray for one another. Do you understand that these routines are not just good suggestions? These are how we abide in Christ. This is the layout that Scripture says this is our way of life. This is how we live out this walk that we can successfully at the end of our life saying, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race. And the condemnation in the room will tell you, in order for God to love you, this is what you need to do. And that's a lie. God loves you. But because he loves you, you should want to be with nobody else other than him. Because he loved you in your worst state. He'll continue to love you in terrible states in the future. He'll love you in, his best, in your best state. He loves you. And I've never met somebody that loved me, even though all the things I've done, all the things that I've said, there's nobody that has given me this love. And so because of that as well, I go to him and I know I'm loved every day when I messed up that last day, when I confess my sins every day to him. He loves me. If you ever read the Old Testament from cover to cover, the Old Testament, you know the Israelites were some crazy people. All the things that they did, and guess what? God loved them through it and still sent Jesus first to the Jew. 
and then to the Gentile. What a wild thing. And we do all these things, community, discipleship, and prayer, we do it all with mission. Reading the Bible, invite other people to read the Bible, invite seekers, invite non-Christians, invite family members. It is the best ask in the world. You don't need to have a theological degree to read the Bible. If somebody says, hey, what does that mean? There's always the greatest option to answer them that I love to use all the time. I don't know, let me look it up. I don't know, let me ask somebody. My favorite website that I used to bother one of my friends with all the time is let me Google that for you. <laughs> that's, a, that's a real website. And when you send them the link, it shows them a video of you typing in their question in Google <laughs> and then sending them to the results. It's incredible. It's one of the best ways to troll a friend. Right? How do we read the Bible missionally? We invite people to read it with us people that may not know God, people that may have questions about God. How do we pray missionally? We pray for the lost. Don't let it be centered all around us, around our church, around us, our needs, but pray for the people in your life that you know that are lost, that don't know Jesus. Pray for them regularly. How do we do community missionally? Hang out with your non-Christian friends and Christian friends in one setting. Listen, one of the things I love the most about our church is that we are not that weird. <laughs> that I can hang out. You ever, you ever have be around a weird Christian where like they just don't know how to talk to somebody that doesn't know Jesus? Usually it's the front because you know that person has non-Christian friends too. But it's just like, how you doing? Amen, brother. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Great day. I just say, how you doing? I didn't even want you to answer me. You know, this is New York. <laughs> yes. Southerners are very much nicer with that. Right? But have it, invite some people over for dinner or for lunch or hangout. Invite your non-Christian friends and invite your Christian friends. You don't need to have an agenda. You don't need to have a Bible study. You just need to hang out. One of our greatest witnesses in our church have been people coming to our hangouts and saying, wow, they weren't weird. Those were normal people. <laughs> Believe it or not, I have heard that dozens and dozens and dozens of times. And then the follow-up is, I'd hang out with them again. It is a beautiful thing. Church, let's do this together. This is why... I am so excited about the daily Bible reading plan. Because you know what? I realized, first of all, most church structures and things are, are created for like mega churches in the Midwest and they don't translate well to a church like ours in the middle of the city. And so what I have been praying through and thinking through for the last few months is how do we do something that is conducive for city living, a way of life in the city. Because I've been through it, whereas burnout left and right, you know, you, you can, this is only sustainable for a few months and then you can never do it again. And then you're ashamed and so you leave. That's not what we want. We want a way of life that we can live out together in the city and prioritize Christ and all the things that he's called us to do. We don't do this because we need to be saved by it. 
We do this because God has already poured out his grace on us. And this is what he said that we should do to live out that life that he has called us to live and that true freedom and beauty in him. And so I want us to build this way of life together. Right, if you, if you read, there's a couple of things in the book that if you read it, I'm gonna actually post a digital copy later on today because we ran out of books. Sorry, I'm bring, I, I have 30 more coming next week. But I'm gonna post a digital copy today on the, on the app so you can always go and download it and follow that way if you weren't able to get a physical copy yet. But what I have there is some suggestions for us. How can we do this together? And one of the first things that you see is a seven-day plan. To read the scriptures in the plan, we have a Monday through Friday. We read one of the scriptures, either in the New Testament or the Old Testament. We read a psalm every day, and we read a catechism every day. And then on Saturday, I suggest that you rest, that you take a Sabbath. Some of us can't do that. That's okay. This is all suggestions. But I think all of us should have one day of rest. If Anybody hasn't noticed, Zion doesn't do anything generally on a Saturday. It is very far in between where that is not the case for a lot of other churches. They do a lot of stuff on Saturday. We basically have our men's and women's breakfast or events on Saturdays that are very low key, that are relaxing generally for the most part anyway. There's a reason for this because we want a Sabbath as a church, a day of rest. I see Sunday as a work day. Now, this is not just because I preach, because I only preach about once a month, but because mentally, to get four kids out of the door on a Sunday, I need to see it as a work day. This is not a day of rest for me. And I suggest for everybody else that you do not see Sunday as a rest day. You see it as a day I need to get some work done. And so what that has helped Heather and I with is it's helped us invite people over. It has helped us Make sure that we get here and be with the community on a regular basis. It has helped us make sure that we do what we need to do. See, in life, there's this misconception that work is only whatever you do for your job. I highly, highly, highly disagree with that. I put in work every day for my family, for my kids. I put in work every day for my wife. I put in work every day to keep my home clean. I put in work every day to bring money home. That's my job. I put in work for the church. And so I, I sleep eight hours. That's, you know, I get a solid eight hours sleep. God bless Heather for all the time she's allowed me to get all that sleep. But those 16 hours, that's an hour and a half to two hours every day I have of entertainment. That's part of my, that's my relaxation time. But every single other hour, half an hour is scheduled in my day. This is where I am going to intentionally live. And guess every single day that calendar revolves around one thing. When am I going to spend time with Jesus today? Everything else gets planned around that. And that is the most important thing I will do at the beginning of every week is set my time with Jesus. And I will put it in my calendar. I will set a reminder. And every time I want to delete that calendar thing because a meeting pops up or something else comes up, I ask myself this question. Is it worth not being with Jesus to do this? 99% of the time, it is no. The other 1% is because I can move my time with Christ to another time. But when I ask myself that question, it puts everything in my life into perspective. It is not more important. 
it is more important to spend time with Jesus. So if you message me, and I may say I was in a meeting. My meeting was with Jesus Christ sometimes. And that's what I tell people. I had a meeting. Every day I have a meeting with Jesus. And every day that is the most important meeting on my calendar. And I say I'm going to read the Bible. I'm going to pray. I'm going to reflect on my time in that scripture and prayer with my brothers and sisters and whatever WhatsApp I'm joining and whatever chat I'm in. And I'm going to spend time with Jesus. That is the most important scheduled event every single day in my life. And I wanna encourage you. It has taken me a long time to be where I am with that, to build these habits. But with this daily Bible reading plan, what we can do is start building a habit. At the beginning of every week, what you'll see is it says, what time are you going to be with God on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday? What time? Write it in. Put in the time that you're gonna do it. There's just something psychological. Studies have shown that if you write down the time, if you put it in your calendar, you are like five times more likely to actually do it. Put it down. Write it in the calendar. Schedule it out. The best thing that you are going to do over the next few months is be with Jesus. It is the most life-transforming thing that you can do. It is the most amazing time that you can spend during the day, and it will radically change your life, encounter Christ every single day. Church, let's do this together. My hope is that when you come to our church, we have a way of life that centers fully around Jesus and what he has called us to do. And that we can do it together. Organize your own groups, your family, your friends in the church. If you have none, make some. Join the women's group, the men's group. We have a special Bible study co-ed group that if you want to join that, all that information is on the app. I think there's two more spots left in that. Find friends that you can do it with. It doesn't need to depend on one of the groups the church has. Find non-Christians that you can do it with, that you think are seeking, will have questions. Church, this is the life that God has called us to do. Let's do it together. Can you stand with me and pray? Jesus, we thank you. We thank you that you gave us the greatest sacrifice when we are at the most unworthy of our lives. The most ungracious, the most ungrateful, but by your grace, by your grace, we stand here saved, holy, righteous, justified before you. And by your spirit, we can live out the life that you have called us to live. Holy Spirit, we invite you right now to come. Fill us. I invite you to put out your hands right now to symbolically receive the filling of the Holy Spirit that Paul says that every day that we should receive. Fill us right now by your spirit, God that we would not be filled with new wine, as the scripture says, that we would not be filled with the things of the world, that we would not be filled by entertainment, by 
the media, by Instagram, by TikTok, but God, that we would be filled by your spirit every day. And that we would see the good fruit that comes from it, the godliness that comes from it, the faithfulness that comes from it, the love that comes from it. Holy Spirit, we thank you right now for filling us with your spirit and with your power, that we would be a church empowered by your spirit to live on your mission. The enemy so long has kept us distracted with our problems, with our mind, with condemnation, that we haven't had time to focus on what you have called us to do, God. Help us to be filled by your spirit, that we would not look to the left or to the right, but we would gaze upon the beauty of Jesus. And that we would see all the freedom, the life and life more abundantly that comes with that. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen, let's worship church. If you want prayer, we're gonna have some of our prayer team on the side to pray with you at any moment during worship. Feel free to come and receive prayer.